You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. One of the most famous quoted scriptures at Christmas time is the scripture that Derek and Mallory just read, Isaiah 6, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, which says this, as you just heard, for, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. So if you get a Christmas card this year, there's about a 50 per, 50% chance this beginning of this verse will be on that Christmas card. If you put up Christmas decorations, you'll find this on Christmas decoration. It's, it's this idea that the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And then verse 7 says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Now, we've been in a series through the book of Matthew. And if you remember, the book of Matthew's theme is Jesus is King. So as you're studying chapter after chapter, you're finding that Matthew is continually pointing to this line of David. Uh, Ben, go back to that verse 7. That he's constantly pointing to the throne of David. Because he's wanting his audience to see that through the line of David, Jesus has come. So as you think about the book of Matthew, you think this would be a great verse for Matthew to quote, right? Because it's pointing us to David, that the, 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 the Messiah, the anointed king is going to come through the throne of David and his kingdom will be established forevermore. So this would be a great verse for Matthew to use in his letter to a mainly Jewish audience for them to see that Jesus is the king that they've been waiting for. What's interesting is that Matthew doesn't use Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. Matthew instead chooses to use Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. So he just goes a little bit earlier in the text and he quotes this from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond Jordan. And remember this phrase, Galilee of the nations. Verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has a light shone. Isaiah, 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ, prophesies about a coming king who will bring light to darkness. In Isaiah chapter 8, in verse 22, it says, And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So what the author of Isaiah is saying, Isaiah, he is saying, it is dark. 
There needs to be hope in this dark world and a light is going to dawn that is going to bring hope. And Matthew quotes this as a means to say Jesus is the light that is dawned. And so I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. And today we're going to look at verses 12 through 25. And so I want you to get your Bible, turn there, pull out your phone or your iPad, go in your app to the phone and then stand with me as I'm going to read out loud. And I want you to follow along with me as I read the word of God. And here's, here's the thing I want you to look for. There's three different things I want you to look for. First, look for this quote from Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. Right, so I want you to read with uh, an engaged mind. So be looking and listening for that quote from Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. The second thing I want you to notice from the text is I want you to notice how much geography is being brought out in the text. How many times Matthew is mentioning different places. Be looking for that. Then the third thing that I want you to be looking for is he uses one certain place five times. He uses that term five times, that place five times. So be listening. What word are you hearing over and over again? What place are you hearing over and over again as we read the text? So here's how it goes. Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 25. Now when he heard, Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulun and Nephtali, so that what was spoken by prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. And immediately, they left their boat and, they fought their, and their father and followed him. And then verse 23 through 25, what you find in this section is basically a trailer for what is to come in the book of Matthew. So you go to a movie and you sit down and you begin, the movies always begin with trailers, right? What are they showing you? They're showing you little clips of what is to come. What Matthew does for here in verses 23, for us in verses 23 through 25 is he shows us a trailer of what we're going to see continue to happen in the book of Matthew. So here's how he does it. And he went throughout, throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them, and great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Father, thank you for giving us your word. 
And thank you that today we can gather as a church family and study your word together so that we can know you better and that we can follow you in a way that is pleasing to you. And so open our hearts and our eyes to see the things that you want us to see from your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So as we read through this, did you notice all the geography? Did you see that in verses 12 and 13, he mentions five different places? Did you notice in verses 23 through 25 that he mentions six different places? So in these five verses, Matthew mentions 11 different places in the text. So he's trying to tell us something that's going on in this moment in Jesus's life. Basically, Matthew is wanting his audience to see that the whole land of Israel is being covered by the gospel of the kingdom of God. That we have the north and the south and the east and the west and all of it, the gospel, the good news is spreading throughout that whole region. He, he wanted his audience to see that. So that's why he's mentioning all these different places for them is to see that the gospel is spreading to all parts of the area that Jesus was at. The good news about Jesus, the light of Jesus was spreading to the whole area. But you'll notice not only does he mention these 11 different areas, he also mentions one area five times. If you caught it, it was the term Galilee. Galilee is a region in the area where Jesus lived. So Nazareth was a part of this area and Galilee was a region around the Sea of Galilee. It is estimated that there was about 2 million people in this region. This region would have been about 60 miles north to south and about 30 miles wide. It was a hodgepodge of people. Uh, you had Jews in this area. You had Gentiles in this area. It was a blue collar area of, of where Jesus lived. And so this is where Isaiah prophesied when he said the Galilee of the Gentiles, he was prophesying that the coming Messiah would start his ministry in this area of the world. And so he's wanting to point his mainly Jewish audience to Isaiah 9, 1 through 2 and say, this king that you've been looking for, this Messiah that you've been longing for, he's here and look where he's starting his ministry at. He started his ministry in Galilee. And so he uses Isaiah 9, 1 and 2 to point that out. And the point of the text today, this section of scripture is that the light has dawned, that Jesus has come. You see, the reason many people missed Jesus is they thought that Jesus would come in a different way to the powerful, to those who were in charge, that he would sort of set up his kingdom that way. Instead, Jesus chooses to fulfill prophecy and come through Galilee. Now, I don't have it on the screen today, so I'm going to, in a way, try to point it out to you. And I know it's hard to see from where you are, but at the back of my Bible, I have maps. And those maps are put there for a reason. I know we don't look at them often, but if you look at the back of the map, and I'll try to turn it, you have Judea down here 
Judea is where Jerusalem is, where Bethlehem is. This would be an ideal place for Jesus to set up his kingdom, to begin his ministry, because this is where the temple is, right? This is where the, quote, religious people are. It would make sense for Jesus to start there. But Galilee is actually at the top, right? Galilee is a good distance from the land of Judea, from Jerusalem and Judea. It's just how Jesus works, isn't it? That where you thought, the way you thought he would come, he doesn't come in that way. And why did Jesus start in Galilee rather than starting in Judea and in Jerusalem? Well, it's because the light has dawned. And where does the light need to go? To the darkest places. And so in that time, the darkest places would have been Galilee. And so Jesus didn't come to call the righteous. Jesus came to call sinners to repentance. And so Jesus starts his public ministry. The light has dawned in this area of Galilee, the darkest places. And Jesus came to bring light to all the nations. John sees this in the life of Jesus when he says this in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, it says, In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We know this to be John the Baptist from Matthew chapter 3. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light, and listen to what John says, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. As John looks at the life of Jesus, he sees the prophecy of Isaiah being fulfilled that the light has dawned, that Jesus has come. If you go later into Jesus' life in John chapter 8, you find Jesus in the temple standing in an area that was known as the court of the Gentiles. And as he's standing in the court of the Gentiles, you had these candles all over this area. That's how it was lit by these candles. And Jesus is standing there in the midst of these. And he's got these people around him. And Jesus makes this statement in John chapter 8 in verse 12. Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I am the light that you have been looking for. I am the king. I have come to bring you hope. The light has dawned. It is good for us to know that Jesus is the light of the world that Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. But it's a whole nother thing for us to do something about the knowledge that we have. See, the thing with light is that light demands a response. Right? When you shine a light into the darkness, the darkness has to respond to the light. So today, before any of us were here, this building was dark. But as soon as we flipped the switch and the lights came on, the darkness went away. It had to respond to the light. So it's one thing for us to know that Jesus is a light of the world. It's another thing for us to respond 
to that light? And how do we see the response to Jesus being the light of the world? Well, look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. I'm going to propose to you that we see two responses to the light. The first is found in Jesus' message. In verse 17, it says, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What is our response to the light? Our response is to repent. Repent is to change your mind. I would say, simply put, to repent is to turn. Say that with me. To repent is to turn. It is that you're going towards the darkness and the light of Jesus shines and you turn towards the darkness and you go towards the light of Jesus. This is what it means to repent. To repent is to turn. See, I think we all in this room have had moments in our lives where we have got caught doing something we should not be doing. I remember when our twin boys, our oldest boys, were toddlers. Now they're freshmen in college, but when they were toddlers, I remember coming home one day from work and Ruth saying to me, I've got such a great story to tell you. So we sit down and she begins to tell me the story of her day. And there was a lot of these throughout the years when you come home with twin boys. But we came home and Ruth said, I was in the kitchen and the boys were playing back in the room. And I could hear them giggling. And you know, if you're a parent, you know a giggle that's like, hey, they're having fun. And there's a giggle that something is not right, right? And it was one of those, like there would be silence and then there would be a laughter. Then there would be some more silence and then there'd be more laughter. And so Ruth's like, I need to go check this out. So Ruth walks down the hallway and comes around the corner to walk into the boy's room and to see a cloud of baby powder in the room. And the boys covered in baby powder. Here's what they had done. There was a little fan in the room. They had taken the baby powder. Boom. Whoosh. Right? Goes everywhere. It was the funniest thing to them. And as you know, as a parent, you have to, Ruth had to step back, laugh, right? Collect herself because this is really funny. And go back in the room as a good parent and say, we don't spread baby powder over the whole room. Right? But here's the funny thing about the boys. As they were exposed, there was baby powder all over them so they couldn't run from the light, right? They, were exp- there was, they, couldn't, they could go hide in the closet, but even if they hid in the closet, they still had baby powder all over them. And when the light of Jesus shines in our lives, we have a choice to run to the darkness or to repent, to turn, and run to the light. The Bible says this, men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So they keep going towards the darkness. Does that define your life? Like you're in this room today, You're hearing the gospel. The light of Jesus is shining on you. Are you going to choose to run to the darkness? Are you going to choose to turn and run to the light? This is what Jesus, amen, turn to the light. That is a great answer. Run to the light, right? That's what it means to repent, to turn. So we see that in the text. How do we respond to the light? We repent. The second thing we see is follow. 
Look at verses 18 through 22. And there you find Jesus putting together his team of disciples, these men that will go around with Jesus and do what Jesus does and do what Jesus tells them to do. And he comes up to these fishermen and fishermen was just a common trade then. And he comes up to these men and he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And the Bible says that these four men drop their nets, they leave their family and they follow Jesus. Now for us, that seems odd, right? We don't have a culture that works that way where we have these rabbis and teachers that we admire and if they came to us and said come follow me that we would drop everything and go follow them that seems a little bit weird like we got to google them we got to figure out who they are before we follow them but it was different in this time there was such respect for these rabbis that that they would drop everything if a rabbi came and said I want you to follow me it would be an honor that the rabbi would come to you, the teacher would come to you and say, I want you to come follow me and do what I do and do the things that I tell you to do. That would have been a great honor to them. And so the disciples drop everything and follow Jesus. So as repenting is to turn, following is to do. As we repent is to turn from the darkness and go towards the light. To follow, I would say this, is to do what Jesus does. To follow is to do what Jesus tells us to do. That's what it meant to be a disciple, was to do what Jesus did. So the disciples would follow Jesus around, and if he did something, their responsibility was to imitate what he did. When Jesus is going to send them out in Matthew 10, he tells them, this is what I want you to do, and they are going to go do that. As a kid, we used to play a game on the playground called Follow the Leader. And it was a sort of a silly game, but you would get somebody who was the leader and you would follow that person around and whatever that person did, you did. They climbed over the jungle gym, you climbed over the jungle gym. If they went down the slide, you went down the slide, right? If they went and shot a basket, you shot a basket. If they crawled on the ground, you crawled on the ground. You were following the leader. And when Jesus tells these disciples, come follow me, their response was to do what he called them to do, to come follow him. This is what it means to follow Jesus, is to do what he says we are to do. So the light has dawned, and Matthew wants us to know that, that the light has dawned, Jesus has come. And our response to the light is to repent and to follow. So here's a good test. How do I know if I've repented? How do I know if I've turned from darkness to the light? A good test for you is this. When the light shines in your life, do you run towards the darkness or do you run towards the light? When the light of the gospel shines in your life, do you turn from the darkness and do you turn to the light and run to Jesus? Listen, there's people in our church or used to be in our church that they had the facade of a follower of Jesus. But when the light of the gospel shined in their life, rather than turning from the darkness in their life, they turned to the darkness. And what that told me is maybe they've never seen the light 
Maybe they've never responded to the light. And so I would ask you today, have you turned from darkness to the light? Have you turned from your sin to your savior who died on the cross for your sin and has given you grace, undeserved grace? Repent. A good test is when the light shines like today, will I run to the darkness or will I run to the light? Then for those of us that have repented, the question and the test for us is, are we following Jesus? A good way to test our faith in that is to ask this question. Does our life look like Jesus? But isn't that what it means to be a disciple? Isn't that what it means to follow? To follow is to do. It's to do the things that Jesus does. So if I'm a follower of Jesus, my life as a disciple should reflect Jesus's life. So my wife and my kids and the people I work with and my neighbors, whether they can articulate it or not, they should know that there's something different about our lives because I follow Jesus. I do the things that Jesus does. Would that be true of your life? That the people around you, when they hear the way you respond at work, they were to follow you in your home and see the things that they would see Jesus in you. The light is dawned and our response to the light is to repent, to turn and to follow, to do. Father, thank you for time together with our church family today. We thank you for this section of Matthew that is leading us in to one of the greatest messages, the, we could say, greatest message ever given in Matthew chapter five, verses in chapter six and seven, the Sermon on the Mount. And as we prepare for that, Lord, I pray that our hearts would respond to the light. That for those in the room that are living in darkness, that they would turn from their darkness to the light, that they would repent. For those of us that have repented, I pray that we, Lord, would follow, that we would do the things that you do, that our lives would be characterized by you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.